August 21st, 2017, there was a total solar eclipse that spanned the entirety of the continental United States. Do you remember this? Do you remember? The media called it the Great American Eclipse. It had been a hundred years since the country had seen a comparable eclipse. My little family was up uh, stationed in Wyoming. I was working for the month at a chapel at the base of the Tetons there. And uh, we all huddled together there with a lot of friends and watched with those like special glasses that you get. They kind of look like the 3D glasses, except for they're like a little bit different, right? You know, they're kind of like paper and then they've got small film. But those little glasses enabled us to, to watch the moon's progress across the sun from when it was just barely touching the sun and you couldn't see it with the naked eye to all when the, it was nearly and entirely blocked out. As the moon got closer to blocking out the sun, the most basic elements seemed to change. First, there was a gust of wind and a dead, strange lack of wind that followed. And then the shadows, the shadows changed. It was the strangest thing to see the shadows dispersed and, 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 uh, and, and cast away in the middle of the day, in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming. It was the strangest thing. Just, even just like the shadows of plants, the whole thing just looked like some kind of like sci-fi movie. I've never seen anything like it. It felt very odd. It felt unreal. Surreal, not right. And then came the full eclipse, and it was astonishing, absolutely stunning. It revealed that corona, I know we've all seen pictures probably online of the corona, but the striking thing about the corona is that it, it has just these strange bursts of energy coming off of the sun at all times. This is always happening. But to see there's no uniformity in how the energy is bursting from the sun, yet, and yet, Despite our love of symmetry and our, our, our draw to, to that in beauty, that lack of symmetry is somehow so striking around the sun. It was a moment I will never, ever forget. And as we all stood there in awe, I couldn't help but ponder the significance. I couldn't help but wonder what does it mean? What does it mean? That question is a recurring theme in all of the readings from today, this Pentecost Sunday, 2019. That word 
The word for today, Pentecost, is one of those churchy terms that's tied up to a bunch of other churchy terms like pneumatology and glossolalia and charismatic and Pentecostal. But what is Pentecost? What is Pentecost? What does it mean? First of all, let's talk about what Pentecost is not. Pentecost is not a Christian creation. It is not a Christian holiday exclusively, right? Pentecost is a Greek term for the Jewish holiday Shavuot, or the Festival of Weeks. Shavuot is one of three pilgrimage festivals in Judaism. The other, the other two we probably know, Passover, right? And then Sukkot, the festival of booths, the one where folks build like tents or like little things out of trees and stuff like that. Anyway, Shavuot celebrates the wheat harvest in Israel, but it also celebrates the revelation of the five books of the Torah by God to Moses on Mount Sinai 49 days after the Passover, right? That's what's going on in this, traditionally, with Pentecost. That's why people had come to Jerusalem in this reading that we catch from today, okay? According to Acts, it was Pentecost, or Shavuot, and the Holy Spirit came like a violent wind into a room where, the, where Jesus' disciples were gathered, and it filled them all. Filled. Remember our Lenten discussion? The discussion of enough. These disciples didn't get like just like a little touch of the Spirit. They were filled. And what happens? They start speaking languages. They start speaking languages, but not like we start speaking languages. They didn't like start off like with greetings in like French or like my horrible Kiswahili. These these folks were suddenly and instantly fluent in languages. Churchy folks call this glossolalia. Glossolalia. We love just inventing terms for things, and that, that's that's one. Glossolalia. I want to be clear about about glossolalia, though. In the interest of transparency, I absolutely believe that it is not. It is not a metric of true belief, right? It is, it is not a test, like, if you, whether or not you're only, like, a true disciple if you can suddenly speak in other languages. Glossolalia is not that. And I don't think it was ever thought to be that. But there are plenty of people who think that maybe it should be, right? I'm going to cast my vote in not. <laughs> in Acts, the disciples experience glossolalia in a very specific setting. People from all over the world have gathered in Jerusalem for Shavuot. The disciples suddenly start speaking in those languages, but they're not, like I said, just saying hello. They're not singing K-pop songs or ordering exotic food, those couple little language, other language words we know. They are speaking, they're speaking about God. They are talking about the eternal in ways that people can understand. 
They are bringing meaning to people who are seeking God. Outsiders. Foreigners. More than anything else, Pentecost is a message of inclusion. It is the message that whoever you are, God is trying to reach you. You don't have to give up who you are or where you come from to understand God's presence in your life. Be exactly who you are. God will speak your language. Not only that, but God will speak through you to others. You will bring meaning to the world. We see this in John's gospel from today, right? This notion of of the disciples bringing, anyone who follows Jesus, bringing meaning to the world. Jesus in John says, you will do greater works than these. You will do greater works than these. It's a message of empowerment, a message of affirmation, a message of meaning. The meaning of us all. Just remember a couple years ago, uh, there's that like internet meme, the double rainbow. Did you guys see this? Do you guys remember? There's a guy who's like hanging out, and uh, and suddenly he, he, I don't know how he picked up his camera, but obviously he thought it was an important moment, and uh, and he he videos the clouds breaking and t- a double rainbow appearing. I know it's it's become synonymous with, with like goofy kind of f- foolishness, but Watch it again. It is stunning just to listen, even if you just listen to it. Listen to this guy reacting to, the, to seeing a double rainbow. He, the guy starts weeping, weeping at the sight. And it is miraculous to see a double rainbow, right? But the, just listening to him weep, he's crying and looking at it, he's loving it. It's amazing. Do you remember what he says? What does it mean? What does it mean? <laughs> I mean, it's funny the way he says it, but you know what you've been there. You know that thing when something extraordinary happens, you wonder whether you voice it or not. What does it mean? It's an age old question that has different weight in different circumstances. Psychologist Viktor Frankl tackled this notion in his book, Man in Search of Meaning. Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor. He endured multiple concentration camps, and then he explored that experience in the book, Man in Search of Meaning. Some of you have likely come across this text. It is widespread. And he introduces this notion of logos theory. What he gets at with this, taking for this experience, this dreadful experience, he says, those who have a why to live can bear almost any how. 
that why is linked to our identity, particularly to our identity in transition. He says, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves, to respond to the Spirit moving through us in every situation. That challenge, that bond to change, it can be intimidating. It can be terrifying. We get this passage in Acts, quoting the prophet Joel. I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That last line. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that line. But but there's a blood moon, sun to darkness. I have seen the sun turn to darkness. And I know it's draw to meaning. And I know it is intimidating. When we read these passages, it sounds so apocalyptic, right? End times stuff. Biblical scholar and one of my gurus and friends, Ched Myers, reminds us that apocalypse can be a sign of hope. It is a hope that change is coming. Change marks the end of current suffering. Ched writes, apocalyptic vision looks for the end, not the mere recycling of the politics of violence and injustice. In this passage from Joel and Acts, the new vision that ends violence and injustice is a communal vision, one of full participation by everyone. Check out this quote. In the last days, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And even upon my slaves, both men and women in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. It is an egalitarian vision of inclusion, of purposefulness, of meaning through the spirit of eternal love at work. We all participate in God's kingdom. We all have a job to do. We find meaning in being who we are together. Amen.